0: You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Thank you for bearing with me, and I'm gonna invite up Andy Lewis. I always want to say I'm gonna invite up the main event. Don't say that. No, no, no. Don't say that. <laughs> yeah yeah uh let 's give Sarah a hand by the way, for everything that she does for the kids um, and i i a couple of things I want to say by the way, grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter eight verse twelve. Romans eight verse twelve is where we're going to get to in a second but um just to say, I know Sarah and Tara they've been doing these announcements up here this is this is going on at every church, I've talked to a lot of pastors, we're all still kind of in this sort of pandemic hangover, you know, and so it's hard to get people back out, and there's a lot of people who've moved away and things like that, to rebuild and regrow a team committed to ministry to kids and stuff like that. So I know from their heart, they are really in prayer, like, God, would you please raise up people? And I would say this to every one of you who are here this morning, if you can do nothing else, join them in that prayer that God would raise up champions to minister to children in the months ahead because otherwise we're, we're going to stay with kind of a one-room schoolroom for a lot of ages, and we really would like to expand that. But it takes people who have a heart to really minister to kids. Another thing I want to say about giving is... Last month, we did not quite make our budget, but here's the funny thing. We made our quarterly budget and we went over it. So you know how the deal is at our church is that when FCC over over gives for a quarter, the elders take 10% of that and we say, let's give it somewhere. So 10% of the overage, which was about $4,000, yay Jesus, right? An overage of $4,000, we decided to take 10% about, about $400 and we committed it to one of our missionaries, the Dominguez families, who's working with Afghan and Syrian refugees as they're coming to the United States, and so we sent $400 to Hope Tribe for one young man who is in desperate need of legal help, and within the next week, he was going to need like $1,500, so we said, here you go, get the legal help, get what your family needs, and it's all because you gave faithfully and consistently, so again, yay Jesus on that. Are you guys awake today? Yay Jesus! Woo-hoo. There we go. All right. I'm going to pray that you'll all wake up, and then we're going to preach. (laughs) Father, would you wake these people up today? Um, I know they're here, and I I know that they have a desire to know you and to get to know you more. And I do pray this morning, God, I, I just said one thing, is I pray that you would, by your spirit, stir in the hearts of people in this church to go... Okay. It's going to take some energy. It's going to take some, um, some work on my part, but I do want to minister to kids in this ministry. Um, Lord, would you raise up those people? Invite them into your kingdom work in that specific way. At the same time, God, I just asked this morning that you would help me in my weakness, and it is real, my weakness, to convey this incredibly hope-filled, amazing message of what your Holy Spirit is actively engaged doing in our lives. So Lord, I give you this morning, and I pray this in your name, amen. Well, before you get into your Bible, I know you can have it, Romans 8, verse 12, you can crack it. Um, what I want to start by is I want to start talking to you about the little preacher in my head. Yep, the little preacher in my head. And don't worry, my wife's a marriage family therapist. It's not It's not the, you know, where I, I have strange voices. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about my own voice and what it has preached at me within me for many, many years. As I've shared with you as we started this series, God is for us um, I had the privilege, and I really mean that, of coming to know Jesus at a really, really early age, about the age of five. And I knew from the very earliest age that I was saved because of God's amazing grace. But being safe with the assurance that I'll get to be with Jesus forever in heaven is not the exact same thing. Being safe is not the exact same thing as being sound as a whole and healthy human being. You know what I'm talking about? Safe and sound are not necessarily the same things. And so for years, the little preacher in my head would preach at me these daily little mini sermons at me. Um, so things would happen like when I would sin, the little preacher in my head would say, why did you do that again, Lewis? Now it's the time to try harder to do better, to get that much better, to get better. When I would fail at an activity that I thought I should do better at, because I always had high expectations of myself, when I thought I should do better, the little preacher in my head would say, what was that? What is wrong with you? When I would fail at at an activity that would happen, when someone would bring up to my attention some shortcoming, because I'm human, and sometimes people reveal your shortcomings when you're human, Uh, at work, at play, in a relationship, whatever it was, when that would happen, the little preacher in my head would preach, wow, wow, you have a long way to go and a lot more work to do. On a happy occasion, when a Bible verse that I happened to read or a sermon would come along or a Holy Spirit-informed passing thought of kindness towards myself would come into my head, The little preacher in my head would preach, yeah, but yeah, that's a good verse. But we all know you're really having to work on these other things. For years, the little preacher in my head consistently won, feeding me with the steady diet of many sermons, telling me that the soundness of my standing with God was all based on my performance And telling me that the soundness of my maturity was based on how hard I was working to do better, to get better. Now, I tell you my story because I know I'm looking at everybody, and there's going to be people listening later online. We all have little preachers in our heads, telling us, giving us a daily diet of mini sermons. And what I want to ask you as we get into this text is, what has that little preaching voice in your head, been feeding you as a steady diet through all these years. What's been the steady mini sermons in your life? And actually, let me drill down into that a little bit more. at That question, with three other follow-up questions. The first one is this: Is what has been the message of these daily mini sermons? Like, if you were to kind of like sum them all up, what would be kind of the daily mini the message of it? The theme is it like just say no? What is wrong with your willpower? Try harder, do better. Darn it, pick a fruit of the Spirit and work harder at being loving, or whatever that fruit of the Spirit is. What's been the message? And then the other follow up question is what's been the tone of these daily mini sermons, like in your own head? Is it the stern lecturer tone? The authoritative cop? Sorry, Dave Weissef. Um is it, the, is it the drill sergeant? The condescending church lady? What's been the tone of it? And finally, what's been the emotional fallout? If you look at your life, of these daily mini sermons from the little preacher in your head? Is it the fallout of sadness? Weariness? Despair, self-condemnation. I want to ask another question, and that is this, as you think about it. Can I ask is how, if you think about this whole thing about this little preacher in, the, in, in our heads, how effective has that little preacher in your head been at helping you become like Jesus, actually? How effective has it been at helping you become a person who is increasingly sound, in your capacity to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, and to be able to love your neighbor as you've learned to love yourself. I'm going to admit to you, right here in front of you on this stage, that the little preacher in my head has been a total abject failure. And I'm going to guess you might admit to something similar in your life. And so today, the good news is we're going to see a much better thing that Jesus Christ has made available to us. In fact, the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we're continuing this series, God is for us. And I love the title because it's like, that's the truth of the gospel. God is for us. It seems like so easy to go, ah, oh, and yet... We all can admit right here in this room that that is a thing that is very difficult. We all struggle to actually believe that that's true. And so what we're doing in these summer months is we're studying a passage in the New Testament that theologians and biblical scholars consider of the high mountain peaks of the entire New Testament, the highest Mount Everest peak of the New Testament, which is Romans chapter 8. And we're studying it verse by verse to hope that in these summer months, we can more fully get it, that God is for us and he's not against us. So with that in mind, have your Bibles open to Romans 8. And we are today starting in verse 12. And let's read God's word together. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather... in order that we may also share in his glory. This is God's precious word. Look, God is so good to us. This passage starts with the word, verse 12, therefore. And we learned early on, right? When you're studying the Bible, you see therefore, you ask yourself, what is it therefore? As in, what is the fuller context that's happened right before the word therefore? And it's telling us, okay, slow down for a second and try to recall what you've learned so far. And for us, that goes back two weeks when we studied two weeks ago in Romans chapter 8. What it helps us remember is that, Remember, there's this sense that we sometimes have as we come into being a Christian. It's like, okay, I'm a Christian now. I have my my laminated pass or my QR code to get past Peter at the pearly gates, and I can get into heaven, and I've got the, the gated community thing. Meanwhile, here in life... I have to do this all on my own. I, just, I guess I'll just keep doing what I all know to do. And the, what we studied was, the context is, is that God's like, no, you're not all alone in this life. I've given you a thing called a person, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has willingly invaded every believer's life in order to help us have a life that goes on from now in the brokenness of this world into the world that won't be broken anymore. That's the whole context where Paul says, Therefore. And then he says this, knowing this, Paul says, we have an obligation. I hate words like that in the Bible, because when that happens, the words obligation and obey and stuff, I'm just going to tell you now, the little preacher in my head starts firing. And I don't know about you, but the instant you hear the word obligation, the next two verses start to sound like the little preacher in most of our heads. Like, I'm just going to read, put it up on the screen. It sounds like this. It sounds like when he says obligation, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. I want to give it a Southern accent. I'm sorry, but that's because of the voice that's in my head. I won't do that. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. When you hear obligation, I'm just admitting this to you. I'm sorry, but this is what happens to me when I read these things. Like when you hear that, that's what you think. But here's the thing that's actually happening. When it's actually intended to be heard as an encouragement to tell us, here's my translation of verse 12. In verse 12, I think what he's trying to say is, when you understand and you recall all of what Jesus Christ has done for you and all of what the Spirit is continuing to do in you and for you, It will produce deep waves of gratitude. Yes, an indebtedness, a sense of indebtedness, but there's a big difference between guilt indebtedness and gratitude indebtedness. And I'm talking to you about gratitude indebtedness. That's my translation of verse 12. And then translation of verse 13. And out of that deep wave of gratitude to God, you will want to work with the spirit to snuff out the misdeeds of the body. And increasingly, as you do that, to really, actually, truly, live so wait just so we're clear and and, and we're not paying attention to the stupid old condemning little preacher in our heads how do we work with the holy spirit to as paul says put to death the misdeeds of the body how do you do that and that's where he goes with the rest of the passage starting in verse 14 he says it's all about this thing he calls being led by the spirit as sons of God and ladies, you're not let out because it's a generic. It's a, it's more like a title. We are all being led by the Spirit as sons of God and being led by the Spirit. It is a radically different experience than being led by the guilt, shame, and worthlessness of the that whole tone of voice and everything of the little preacher in our head. It's a very different thing. The indwelling Spirit is constantly leading us to understand the full range of what it means that we are not slaves. We are, Paul says, sons, or he says, we're adopted into sonship. Now, if you've been at Faith Community Church for any period of time, you've heard me mention this before, but if you haven't, let me mention it again. This is an incredibly important concept of the New Testament. Sonship is the Greek word, weos. And if you want to impress your friends, write it in your Bibles, transliterated, it's spelled H-U-I-O-U-S, weos. And it is the Greek term for something that was a common legal practice in the days of Paul when he was writing the New Testament. It's called adult-placed son, Adult placement adoption. Not adoption of babies. That's what we're used to. Children and infants. That was not happening in that culture. What was going on is Paul's talking about this common Near Eastern practice for wealthy and or powerful couples who didn't have children would say, we want to carry on our family name, our family business, but we don't have heirs. So what they would do is they would adopt Sometimes slaves from their household, they would legally adopt them, adults, or a military commander, or a dear friend, or a child of a dear friend, and what they would do in this is they would bring them in legally, they would pay off all of their debts, they would give them, legally, their family name and all of the assets that their family had in their family as well as in their business. And then they would entrust to this adult adoptee, the family business. We trust you with this business. And even after we die, you can carry it on. You have our name, all of our assets, all of our resources. This happened all the time. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, I want you to track with this is that the spirit inside of us is preaching that every believer is an adult place son in the family of God. And it doesn't matter if you've earned it or you think you should be in that position. God puts you there anyway. That's your position in the family of God. And the Holy Spirit's constantly saying, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? And the Holy Spirit's constantly leading us to understand and engage these privileges as adult play sons. And the daily sermon that the Holy Spirit is preaching is that God has graciously given us and I'm just going to give you a list of the things he mentions in these verses. God has graciously given you and I security. Our child-parent relationship with God now is never one that's defined by fear of losing the relationship. I mean, there can be some times of drama and conflict, but you never fear losing the relationship. God in the Holy Spirit's preaching us that God has also graciously given us intimacy, Verse 15, we are invited to call out to God in the most intimate and vulnerable way you possibly can. Abba is like in our English language of Dada, of what an infant guttural speaks out in the safety and embrace of Dada. We can do that. The the Spirit is preaching at us daily. We have security. We have intimacy. We have assurance. The Spirit is testifying, preaching, preaching in our spirit, to help us rest assured in our relationship with God. In addition, the Holy Spirit's preaching that we have an inheritance, that we actually have a share in the entire future inheritance that Jesus alone has earned. We haven't earned it, but we have a share in it. It is being given to us as a gift. It's preaching to us that we also have discipline that we share in Jesus' suffering anytime we suffer. And you don't get through life without having some moments where you suffer. And we go through it knowing Because the spirit of what the Spirit's preaching inside of us, that pain is not a punishment from God anymore. We never have to take pain as punishment from God. That is never what is actually happening. But it's actually a reality of life in a broken world, but it's still a reality of life that God comes right alongside of us and he has the capacity to discipline us and refine us and to do something redemptive for us in it. And finally, the Spirit preaches at us that we have been graciously given capacity. We are being shaped to share, it says, in God's, Jesus's own glory. Now, when you and I read glory, we think, oh, so I'm going to shine like a star, like Jesus shined on the Mount of Transfiguration. Is that, is that, no, that's not what it means. Does that mean that then I will be morally pure, like Jesus is morally pure? That's actually not what Paul's getting at. What Paul's doing is, because he knew his Bible really well, he's going all the way back to the Garden of Eden in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, where God says to Adam and Eve before the fall, be fruitful and multiply and govern the earth and rule it well. Like you're my ambassadors, rule this kingdom that I've made for you and rule it well. I'm trusting you with that. And what Paul is doing is he's going back and referencing in the Garden of Eden, that was considered to bear the glory of God, to rule well. And Paul is saying that the Spirit's constantly preaching at us that you still have the capacity to take up your vocation as a human being again, to be a healthy and whole representative of God, to rule his creation well. Those are some pretty nice mini-sermons to be hearing every day, isn't it? So as a believer is led by the Spirit's ongoing sermons, that we are sons, we have assurance and intimacy, we're holding an inheritance, we have discipline, we have a capacity to rule well. When we do that, it makes us more eagerly engage the profound and radical realities of our relationship with God. And over time... That engagement leads us to be people who grow up and grow out of the hold of sin. That's how it works. So the thing I want you to hear from what Paul is teaching is this. Is the Holy Spirit is steadily trying to persuade me about my standing with God. And my maturity comes from actually believing him. Actually believing him. You see, you have to understand that once we become a Christian, an internal preaching battle begins. that didn't exist before. So follow me on this. When you become a Christian, suddenly now there's a preaching battle. There wasn't a battle before because before we come to Christ, before there's faith, there's no battle. There's preaching. But all, the, all it is is just the desires of our flesh and this is true of every, every human being, along with the scolding little preacher that's trying to keep the desires of the flesh, the addicted flesh, sort of somewhat in line. That's all there was. That was the only preaching. But now that we become believers, there's two sermon sources every day. Every day. And one of the sermon sources, is the scolding little preacher of what our passage would call the spirit of slavery. And here are the characteristics of that preaching of the spirit of slavery. The spirit of slavery is to say, you have to respond to God, obey, because you have to. You respond because you have to. The spirit of slavery says you've got to work, 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 and it's always under threat, always under the threat of pain. God's going to get you or loss. He'll take that away from you. Under the spirit of slavery, it's this sense of continual insecurity. Slip up and it will cost you. And the spirit of slavery says it is all about the concern with external compliance. Everything that you can see on the outside with rules. It's all about external compliance to rules. And finally, the spirit of slavery says you have to work and you won't be given any honor. That's one sermon, and every believer is going to have some of that little preacher in your head. But there's this other one now that is in competition that's trying to go, would you please pay attention? And that is the Holy Spirit preaching what the passage calls the Spirit of Sonship. And you're going to see how they play off of each other as we go through this. The Spirit of Sonship says you don't respond because you have to. You respond out of love and joy in your relationship with your daddy, which is our translation of Abba responds out of love, where it realizes that um, discipline isn't payback. It is instruction. Instead of working under threat, you di- it's discipline because you know God's trying to refine you. He's trying to form you. It's instruction. And you don't live out of insecurity. You live with security. It's this re- nature of this relationship where you say, if I slip up, daddy will forgive me. And he's not going to, he'll be sober minded about his forgiveness. Like, oh, okay, don't, don't, don't worry about it. No, not a big deal. He, he will forgive me and he'll continue to work with me. Security. Spirit of sonship says it is concerned with relationships and attitude. Not so much about external compliance to rules. It's about how are we doing in this relationship? Where are your attitudes? And finally in it, the spirit of sonship starts with giving you honor. And then you're invited to join the work as opposed to work hard and you're not going to give it any honor. Now, as we look at these two sermon sources, know that every believer is invited to truly believe the constant drip, drip, drip of the daily mini sermons of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, Andy, I've never had like ecstatic experiences with God. I have other Christian friends who have, you know, like maybe speak in tongues or they've actually had really ecstatic mystery type experiences of God. I've never had that. So how would that happen to me? And I'll I'll be with you. I have not either. And I will say, I don't feel like my walk with Jesus is any less because I haven't. If God wants to do that in my life. Great. What I will say to you is to truly believe for me is to actually listen to the thought whispers Where the Holy Spirit's whispering in your thoughts, scriptural truth, even if you don't know them all, the ones that you do know, where you're listening to the thought whispers that says, hey, remember, God is an Abba. Remember, you're loved. Remember, God is better than your suspicions are believing right now. We are invited to truly believe them, and then as we believe them, to lean into the reality of our sonship privileges, that we are secure, we are being disciplined, we have a capacity to rule well, and then we mature as we believe what the Spirit is preaching. We become mature daughters and sons of God. As Paul says it in the passage, we become people who are actually putting to death the misdeeds of the body. As I put it, uh, we're calling it growing up and growing out, First of all, the compulsive, obvious, stupid sins of our lives, and I've had many. And then as we get past some of those and we've gained some maturity, then the Holy Spirit starts to go to the more hidden secret sins, the attitude stuff and the stuff that's about motivations that nobody sees. But we start growing up and growing out of sin. So here's the important appeal. Once upon a time, I based my, a lot of my personal and for sure most of my pastoral significance on what we would call the metrics of ministry success, the metrics of it. The last half of the 20th century, particularly in the American church, went out of its way to define success as the two ends, nickels and noses, or the three B's, bodies, buildings, bucks, It went out of its way the last half of the 20th century and the first part of the 21st, and it's still going on, to define it that way. And so when we planted Faith Community Church 16 years ago, I I mean, there's no way you could escape it as a pastor. It was like the oxygen that everyone was breathing in the room. And so that stuff, it clouded my thinking. It informed how I, I, I'm sad to admit it, how I saw this church in myself as a pastor. And so when we had a good turnout and a good offering, you can guess how I felt. I felt good about FCC and me. And when we had a bad turnout and a bad offering, I felt bad about FCC and me. Now, you better believe that through that time, the Holy Spirit was preaching many sermons at me, the time the Holy Spirit was absolutely trying to preach thought whispers of truth in those bad moments, I had them. They were there. Thought whispers of, God sees you, Andy. God God loves you for who you are and not what you're doing. God loves your faithfulness. Hey, celebrate that fruit there that just happened right in front of your face, Andy. Why don't you celebrate that? Why don't you maybe celebrate these victories, even if you're not going to write a book about it someday. Just celebrate it. The Spirit, these Spirit informed thought whispers helped, but I will be fully honest and say it did not really change my heart and my mind until one thing happened. I began to, with my own energy, begin to join the chorus with the Holy Spirit. I began to join the chorus. And what I mean is, I finally began to break out of the condemnation of the church success metrics when I began to preach gospel realities to myself with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit was preaching them at me. To say, yeah, Andy, God does love you and he sees you and God loves what is happening at Faith Community Church. I want to say the pivot point in my freedom and my growth and my maturity on this issue and it's happened on all the issues. But on that issue of ministry success, it started to happen when I started joining the Holy Spirit and preaching the gospel reality to myself, inside of myself, with the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're, going, we're establishing here. The Spirit is steadily in all of your lives trying, trying to persuade you every day of your standing in the heart of God. And your maturity is based on how well you're able to believe it. So the appeal is... Get better at preaching the gospel to yourself with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit encourages us and empowers us, but the inflection point of greater maturity really takes off when we stop rolling over to the stupid little condemning preacher in our heads, which, by the way, is often fueled by the enemy of our soul, the devil himself, who's always trying to preach another message of you're a clod. And so stop rolling over to that and stop rolling by the Holy Spirit's preaching by simply shrugging it off or what I did, yes, butting it all the time. Yes, but yes, but stop that and start joining the chorus. We gird up our own minds and emotions to take the Spirit's thought-whisper sermons to preach to ourselves, to preach within, here is what is true about Daddy. Here's what's true about my place in his heart. Here's what's true about God's purposes for my life. All of which are true, whether I'm feeling it right now or not, I'm going to yell it at myself. And then to say, not to the Holy Spirit, yes, but, yes, and... Yes, you're right, Holy Spirit. And here's a Bible verse that I can remember that actually squares with that. Yes, you're right, Holy Spirit, God loves me. And I remember John three sixteen. Yes, and. I love how the worship band Ren Collective took this very deeply foundational spiritual truth and put it into a song that sticks in my head when I need it. It's one of their songs. It's called Nailed to the Cross. And here's what they sing. They say, When I stand accused of my regrets and the devil roars his empty threats, I will preach the gospel to myself that I am not a man condemned for Jesus Christ is my defense. And the chorus says, My sin is nailed to the cross my soul is healed by the scars the weight of guilt I bear no more oh praise the Lord oh praise the Lord I will preach the gospel to myself It's true. We clap our hands, not for how well somebody may have been on pitch. We clap because you and I need to face the fact and preach the good news to ourselves every day. Don't let a day slip by where you're not preaching the gospel to yourself with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite Calvin and Sage and Eden to come on up and lead us in worship. And I hope you're going to sing louder. With the Holy Spirit. I hope and pray that you're going to be able to take what's been preached and to begin to take some of these pieces and integrate it in how you live your life because today could be an inflection point for your life where you, it's an inflection point of walking in greater freedom from flawed thoughts and pursuits to, as Romans 8 says it, to be a person who this is the inflection point of freedom from the misdeeds of the body. This could be the inflection point of you take off in maturity growing into a person who walks and talks like what Romans describes as an adult placed son, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Today could be the inflection point. You pick up your true vocation, which Romans 8 talks about being one who shares in Jesus's glory, where you're increasingly living a life as a healthy and a whole representative of God who is ruling even in this broken world, but doing it well. This could be the day. The Spirit is steadily trying to persuade us about our standing with God, (laughs) even in this sermon. And your maturity comes from actually believing it. Can I please ask you, step it up in your own life to join the chorus with the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to yourself. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. We are made of flesh We have our flaws. We are being made. We've been made whole. We're being made whole. And someday we'll be permanently made whole. We're in this journey, this adventure. It's epic, and you're with us. And God, I just ask that you would bless everyone who's heard this with a movement forward in the nature of what the gospel actually means to bring about greater freedom and greater wholeness and just greater love for you and the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.